Good evening. As you get settled in here, I encourage you to get your Bibles out. Turn with us to the Old Testament book of 1 Kings. We'll be there in just a moment. And I appreciate everyone being back with us this evening as we spend a little bit of time together in God's Word, trying to encourage each other. What a wonderful song, Heavenly Sunlight. They call Florida the sunshine state. They don't call that about Indiana. Because we're right in the season where we'll go several days, weeks, maybe in months or so, where it's just gray and dark and dark and gray. And for a lot of folks, that's how they feel on the inside. But that heavenly sunlight has nothing to do with sunshine. It has to do with God's word and God's grace and God's love upon us. And what warmth and encouragement and great things it brings to us as we think about that. Good to be together this evening. Well, there was a rumor, and the rumor just was too good to be true. And she had heard about this, and so she wanted to check it out for herself. Nobody could be like this. Nobody could be that smart. And so she went to investigate it. She was a queen, and he was a king. Now, he wasn't her king. He was the king of another nation. And when we come to the book of 1 Kings chapter 10, we have the encounter where the queen of Sheba comes to visit King Solomon, the king of Israel. And word on the street was about how smart he was. Now where we are in our Bibles, we understand that. God gave Solomon a choice. Pick what you want. You want long life? You want riches? Do you want wisdom? And Solomon chose wisdom. And it was exemplified time and time again. But the queen of Sheba had to find out for herself. Because from her estimation, nobody can be like this. And so as we begin the text in 1 Kings chapter 10, beginning verse 1, it says, Now when the queen of Sheba had heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with difficult questions. It sounds like an early versions of Jeopardy, doesn't it? I'm going to ask you this. We'll see if you can answer this. So she came to Jerusalem with a very large retinue, with camels carrying spices and very much gold and precious stones. When she came to Solomon, she spoke with, with him with all that was in her heart. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was hidden from the king that he did not explain to her. And so she came to find out, is it really true that you are that smart? But something happens as she's there. Not only is she impressed with Solomon, she sees something. And from that, we're going to have a simple little lesson about tonight. Back in the year 2010, there was a British TV show that caught the attention of the American audience. It's called Downton Abbey. A lot of you became big fans of that. We've watched that. We love Downton Abbey. And it was about the family by the name of Crawleys. And they lived in that palace, mansion, castle. And the story really was about two sets of people. The Crawleys, who were wealthy and owned that place, and then the servants who took care of them. The servants were downstairs people, and the Crawleys were upstairs people. And so whatever they needed, they'd ring that little bell, and the downstairs people would come upstairs to serve them. 
And, and the whole purpose of that was to show that those who had and those who did not have. And in our American culture, that's something that we simply did not see very much. Now, we carry that idea over here as we continue on 1 Kings chapter 10. And we notice the Queen of Sheba, and two things stand out here. It says, when the Queen of Sheba perceived all the wisdom of Solomon, the house he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his servants, the attendance of his waiters, their attire, his cupbearers, his stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no spirit left in her. Took my breath away. Now, one of the first things that's interesting about that passage, before we get to our verse tonight, is that you would think somebody who was familiar with palaces and wealth, when you look down at verse 10 of our context, she brings probably close to three or four tons of gold to give to him. She has all kinds of wealth about her, but she's paying attention to the waiters and what they're wearing. She notices that. And you think about when we see some of our state dinners at Washington, or we think about some of these other things, you get the Secret Service maybe opening the car door, and the president gets out, or some ambassador gets out, and they hurry off to their meeting. They hardly even mention the servant who's opening the door. The Queen of Sheba saw that. Now, that leads to our verse tonight. Because it, in verse 8, it says... How happy or happy are your men, happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. The King James Version, the NIV, the CEB, the ESV, they all use that expression, how happy are your servants. Now again, stop and think about this. Those servants who serve Solomon, they would never own that palace. We're not the king. Now, England has a new king, the king of England, Charles. I forget what the number is, Charles VIII or something. I don't know why he's Charles something. How did he become king? There was no election. There was no getting the group of people together. Who should our next king be? Charles became king because his mama was the queen. That's the reason. Birth order. Being born in the right family. You can imagine those servants saying, dude, I wish I was Solomon. I wish my daddy was David, and, and I would have this. Instead, I'm serving him. I will never be a king. Nobody will ever bring me gold. No one who's from another country is going to come and visit me. And yet, they're happy servants. Do you see that? And we see with that a spirit and an attitude that I'm going to talk about with you for our sermon. In the book of Psalms, the psalmist reminds us that you and I are servants. I am your servant, talking to the Lord. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. And so this evening I want to share with you just three or four simple reminders as we think about our work with God. And that we should be happy servants. And first of all, what we need to remind ourselves as we think about this is the duty and the task we do can seem more of a burden than a blessing. It's wonderful to give your all to God, but if we view it as a hardship 
We view it as a work, and then the joy and the spirit will be missing. The queen of Sheba saw the servants. And she said, they're happy people. They're happy people. Now stop right there, and let's just run through a list of things. Sunday night, you want to come over and go out to eat? No, I got to go to church. You hear that little, I got to? I got to go to church. What class are you going to be in next quarter? Oh, I got to teach. Oh, I got to write another sermon. I've got to do another blog. I've got to do another pause. I got to do. And sometimes that takes away that smile from our heart and a smile from our lips. The queen of Sheba saw those people, and they weren't thinking, we're biding our time because in about 10 years when this old man dies, we're going to take over this place. They had no hopes of that. They were not in the right family. They would never be king. But they were happy servants. And I asked myself, when God wants me to do things, am I a happy servant or am I just doing it because I'm supposed to do it? Let's run through some verses to remind us of this. Remember in the book of 1 Corinthians, as the Apostle Paul talks about the spirit of love, and he'll really identify what love is deeper in this chapter. But he begins this chapter by saying, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Your spirit matters. Your attitude is very important. Jesus understood this in John chapter 15. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Keeping commandments and joy are not opposites. She came to see this king, but she left thinking, wow, I've never seen such food. I've never seen a stairway like that before. I've never seen servants who are happy. And she saw happy servants. We remind ourselves in the book of Psalms 100, shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God, as he who's made us, and that we ourselves, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Thankfulness, joyfulness. And just later on in the book of Psalms, chapter 122, I was glad. I was happy when he said, let us go to the house of the Lord. So let's remind ourselves, as we serve the Lord, which we want to do so much, that our spirit and our attitude is so important to that. Second lesson I see from this is oftentimes people we think would never notice do notice. Who would ever think a foreign queen would pay attention to what a servant was wearing? Who would ever think a foreign king would notice the expression of a servant's face? Who would ever think that, that, he, that she would see these things? I wonder, as the queen of Sheba saw these things, if she thought about her own servants back home. Oh, I got my servants, but I don't think they're very happy. Solomon's servants are happy. 
partly because of the way Solomon treated them, but partly according to our context here, is because every day they got to hear this wisdom. Every day Solomon was having people before him. His servants were standing there, and he'd impart this wisdom from God. They would hear that. And if they learned and took that to the heart, what differences that would make in their own lives. One of the words the Bible uses is the word countenance. We don't use that word very often, but the word countenance really has to do with expression. We go, for example, in the book of Genesis. It says, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Well, what fell? The expression of his face. You can tell when someone's mad. You can tell when someone's not happy. How do you tell that? By the countenance of their face. How did she know that these servants were happy? Did she walk up to every one of them? Well, are you happy? How about you? Are you happy? I think she could tell by their countenance. As she came before the king. Can you imagine walking past all these servants? And every one of them is smiling. And there's Solomon on his throne. And he's smiling. And he reaches out his hands and says, Welcome, queen, to my palace. Can you imagine that? And I think that's something that comes out of that. You know, it has been said, the expression of your face is a window to your soul. And again, to see how important it is as we consider that very concept there. And so we, we look at another passage, Proverbs 15, verse 13. A joyful heart makes a cheerful face, but when the heart is sad, the spirit is broken. And, and again, that, that idea. So when we think about people who you think will never notice, they do notice. Who notices? Your children notice. Your neighbors notice. A lot of people notice. And, and when that goes on, it helps us understand, why do you go to church if you're not happy? Why do you serve God? Because I don't want to go to hell or because I love the Lord. And so the sighs, the groans, the complaints, all those things really point to a person's heart that simply is not right. Rather than heading to the salt mines for another day at work, these were happy servants. In the book of Philippians, in chapter 2, the apostle says this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. And what a perfect picture. Because how often when we go out to eat and our order is not right, comes the complaining. And complaining is contagious. You get one person complaining, another person is going to be complaining. And then what you're going to find, is it lacks perspective. And what it does is it's counterproductive. It doesn't help things in a way that it should be. And so we need to remind ourselves on a Sunday night particularly, when we have folks who are visiting with us on a Sunday morning, they'll forget the sermon probably by Wednesday. But they'll remember if this is a friendly church. They'll remember if the people look like they're going to the dentist or surgery or they got smiles on their face. These people are happy servants or they're not. And I think that's another wonderful lesson we pull from this. We also see here another lesson. And that is by serving with happiness, we lift the burdens of others. Now, you and I have all been there before. You're at a restaurant. It's very crowded. The food servers are really busy and you, you hold your hand up, you try to flag down your server, and they come to your table, and you say, can you give me some more water in my cup? They don't have a smile, they're not thankful. Yes, and off they walk. 
And they don't come back. And you got to do it again. Uh, uh, you forgot me. Remember my water. And you just think, what is wrong with these people? What's wrong with this place? But you and I have also seen the other side, too. We've been to places before where the food servers are just amazing. They go out of their way. They come often to your table, and they're always there asking you things. They're talking to you. They're, they're exchanging things with you. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful, warm concept. Now, now imagine taking that concept spiritually. Imagine one of you has been in the hospital or have had a baby or some other thing, and we're going to bring some food to you. I'm going to use Miss Debbie as an example. Miss Debbie would never do this, but I'm going to just say, because if she cooks, I don't cook. If I, if I cook the food, you're going to go right back to the hospital, okay? We understand that, okay? So Miss Debbie makes the food, and she brings it to you. And you open the door, and she goes, well, here it is. You don't know how long it takes me to make this stuff. And, and you don't believe the prices of food. Do you know how much all this costs me to make this for you? And, and, and can you imagine how I had to take a day off of work just to do this for you? I mean, about that time, you're going to think, I'm sorry. Take it. I don't want it. And Miss Debbie would never do that. But in our spirit and in our attitude, we need to see the difference we make when we serve with joy and happiness. The Apostle Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 13, For this reason we have been comforted. And besides our comfort, we rejoice even much more for the joy of Titus, because, he has, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. There are people who need their spirits refreshed. And that's something that you and I can do so much easily. She noticed happy servants. What do you think that did to her? She walked in there and saw all those people smiling. Everyone's in a good mood. Even though it's not their palace, even though they don't own that stuff, even though they're having to serve other people, the servants were happy. Don't you think that just made her feel happy? I'm glad to be here today. And then, finally, when we focus upon the king who we're serving, we become the happy servants. This is kind of the point the apostle makes in the book of Colossians as he talks about a slave right here. We may apply this to workers working in, in, in our places of work. Slaves in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Now, in that context, he's talking about a servant serving his master. It's dinner time. I want my food. But what you're doing is, I'm not serving my master. I'm serving the Lord. Jesus would say in the judgment scene, Matthew chapter 25, I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. You did to the least of them, you did it to me. And that's the concept we need to see as we think about helping one another. You don't mind the effort. You don't mind the tremble. You don't mind the mess. In sickness and in health, you're glad to be there. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9, we make it our ambition to please the Lord. And we remind ourselves of this. Our God is good. 
It's easy to serve him. Jesus would give us an example in Luke chapter 18 of, of a widow, and, and she was having somebody oppress her. And she went to an unrighteous judge who did not fear man nor God, and eventually she got what she wanted. Jesus uses that parallel to talk about you and I praying. Our God is not like that judge. Our God is good. Matthew 7, Jesus says, If you know how to give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly Father give what is good to you? And so the idea is, it's easy to serve God. He's generous. He's gracious. He's good. And of all people, we ought to be happy servants of God. Back in our context of 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse 4, the Bible there says, When Queen Sheba saw those servants, all those things that Solomon had, it took her breath away. She was amazed. If you will, turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 8. I want you to look at a word that's not used very much in our Bibles. Matthew chapter 8, we find Jesus here hearing, healing the faith of a centurion servant. And it starts at verse 5 of Matthew 8. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him imploring him. Remember, a centurion would be a Roman soldier. This man's a Gentile, not Jewish. But he implores Jesus. Saying, Lord, my servant is laying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does that. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. You write in your Bibles, you might write the word W-O-W. Wow. Not too many times that Jesus really stopped and said, wow, look at that. Here is a Gentile soldier, and he gets it better than some of the Jewish followers. Jesus marveled. And so, again, when we think about the focus, the focus is not serving the church. The focus is not teaching a Bible class. The focus is not doing this or doing that. The focus is we're honoring God. And we put God before our eyes. We ought to become happy servants. Many of you have watched the series, The Chosen, about Jesus and his disciples. And there's a little bit of Hollywood in that. But by and large, it's a great series. And one of the common comments people make about that is the humanity and the expression and the emotion on Jesus. He smiles before he heals somebody. He hugs the apostles. There seems to be so much realness about Jesus there. And, and that's something that is not made up. I think it's something we see from the Gospels, that Jesus was glad to be on earth to help us because we needed that help. And so as we wrap this lesson up this evening, we go to Matthew chapter 25, again at the judgment scene. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Can you imagine that day? And it's coming. That day when we're ushered into the other side, 
We stand before the throne of God. Those books are open. How scared we might be. How unsure we might be. But God's reading those books. And he says, well done. And with a smile on the face of God, arms extended, come on in. Come on in. I've got something prepared for you. Happy servants. That's something I want us to really think about. I think on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Wednesday night, lots of things going on, lots of things we've talked about, prayed about, we've been singing about. But as we leave the community, you'll see smiles. These people are really glad to be here today. Why? Because they're the happy servants of God. And I love that. It took a queen who was not of Israel to show us that very concept of the happy servants of God. And so this evening, as we wrap this up, we want you to think about that in your walk with God. Sometimes we stress the doctrine and we need to. Sometimes we talk about serious things and we need to. And we talk about warnings and we need to. But sometimes in all of that, we can lose the spirit and the passion. The queen of Sheba saw happy servants. And I wonder if the God of heaven looks down at this church. I see happy disciples. I see people who are happy to be here. I see people who are happy to walk with me. I see people who every day in their families and in their work and in their community, they're doing their best to make a difference. I'm so glad because they're happy and I'm happy. Something for us to think about. If we can help you in any way, won't you come forward as we stand and as we sing.